Walking Dead lovers. Welcome to Hey All You Zombies. I'm Richard Krauss. Um, we're going to sort of break format a little bit. We've been talking about The Walking Dead for weeks now. I was off last week because I couldn't speak, and I'm still uh, gobbling halls. I've, got, I've lessened it down from uh, the industrial strength lozenges I was using to something store-bought now, but still... All these so I, that I can be with you today. I've drugged myself up so that I can be with you today. And we're going to, uh, so we missed last week, so we're going to concentrate on two episodes of The Walking Dead. And, of course, the season finale was on Sunday. I would suggest, if you haven't seen uh, either this week's show or the week previous, close your ears right now because there's going to be spoilers of flying from me and Chris Abel on the other end of the line. Hi-de-ho. Yes, I mean, you know, um, it'd be really difficult to do a non-spoiler uh, discussion about this series. The whole I'm point not even going to try. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's pointless. I mean, because the whole, you know, catch, what, what really grabs you about this show are the details and the major things that happen. So, yeah, we'll talk about those two episodes and, and really kind of dive uh, right in. Yeah, so I'm, I'm throwing up a spoiler right now. <laughs> this is a deleted scene. This is a, a shot from a deleted scene of Milton about to take a bite out of Andrea. There it is. Spoilers have started already, people. Yeah, so, apparently there's a lot of deleted material. I mean, I usually don't go out and get the um, the, the DVDs for these kinds of things, but it might be worthwhile in this case because I've been hearing there's a lot of deleted scenes. Yeah, me too. I... Uh, well, on The Talking Dead, which airs right after The Walking Dead, I watched it this week, and uh, they had uh, Norman Reedus, who's Daryl, and he was saying, uh, yeah, in that scene, I said this line, but they cut it out, and then they didn't use the thing, and so he implied that there was lots more going on than you actually see. So I don't know. I mean, normally on episodic television like this, they don't overshoot. Movies, they do. Um, normally on episodic television like this, it's kept to, you know, uh, the ratio of, you know, the shot ratio is kind of, you know, one to three kind of thing, rather than on a movie where it can be, you know, one to ten or twenty. Yeah. So, uh, so apparently there are lots of outtakes and deleted scenes and things. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, uh, the week before, and here come the spoilers, there be spoilers here, we lost Meryl. Um, you know, if he had to go, and, you know, you kind of figured he, he probably was going to go at some point. Um, I think that they they sent him off in a really appropriate way. He redeems himself a little bit. He's still the the the, the evil guy that he was at the beginning of the episode. He has kind of an epiphany. He redeems himself, and then what do you do? You explode Twitter by turning him into a zombie and having his brother kill him. I mean, it's Shakespearean. If Shakespeare wrote zombie stories, it would be the, the story of Meryl and Daryl. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, that Meryl has uh, emerged as being the best-handled character in the entire series. Yeah. In terms of just having his story arc and, you know, the way that the treatment that they gave him. It was a bit of a shock because he's been such an entertaining character that he's one yeah. of the ones you don't want to leave. Uh, I would have been tempted if I was doing the show to just have him go off into the woods and come right. back every now and then as like some almost like a, a violent hermit living out in the <laughs> <laughs> to have him come back and just add a little bit of insanity right. every now and then. But uh, yeah, no, it was um, it was just beautifully done in terms of the structure. So I like the idea that uh, it allowed us to kind of tap into who Merle is, right. which is something that they don't really give us with a lot of other characters in the sense that here's a guy who clearly has problems, he has issues, but is trying to deal with the dilemma of how does he, how does he find a healthy position for himself? He seems to want that in this episode. Maybe he didn't want it before, but because his, his brother has chosen the prison to, and hangs out with this, this group, he wants to be a part of it, but realizes it's a big dilemma and, and maybe there isn't really a solution for him at all. No, and it's, you know, I, I, you've got a sense of that. And for this show, um, it didn't feel like a cheat to me that he would have this sort of epiphany, you know, and, and that, that he would let Michonne go. It didn't, it, it, it struck me as being true to the character and 
interesting and a way to wrap up his storyline in a way that, um, you know, was kind of epic. I mean, it was small scale epic for sure, but you know, the, the, the thing that uh, turned him into a bad, I mean, he was probably bad before he's probably hillbilly redneck bad before, but then, you know, when the, when the, the apocalypse happens and everything turns to, to crap, uh, he turned into a character who would do virtually anything in the new world order to survive and sort of became kind of an evil character. And to have him turn into the thing that, that he's been battling against for years now, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it really was. You know, and it is something that, I mean, I suppose I, I well, you know, watching the scene where, where the governor kills him, I was thinking, oh, he didn't shoot him in the head. Merrill's coming back. He's coming back. And that's when I tweeted, Twitter will explode in one, two, boom. And then you see him eating that guy. And it was like, yeah, that's kind of where I thought that was going. Yeah. No, very uh, beautifully written. Uh, I like the idea that um, Merle's trying to figure out his role, essentially. Yeah. Where is, can he fit in? Like a lot of the, the bad sort of characters in this in this series, I get the feeling that when the apocalypse happened, for him it was initially a sense of freedom. Yeah. Um, the, the, the constraints of society have fallen. I don't have to behave anymore. I can, you know, sort of, you know, allow my, my, my nature to kind of run wild. But then for him, the issue quickly became that he can't survive on his own. He has to f kind of fit into a group. He right. explains that um, to me, Sean, that he didn't kill anybody until he met the governor. He may have been a bad guy, but he didn't yeah. kill anybody. And that for him, that was about trying to fit in and saying, well, I can be the guy who does dirty deeds. I can tackle the things that nobody else wants to do. That'll be my role. And that way he can kind of feel like he's got a place in the world. But as it turns out, you know, all those, those deaths and the things that he's done still weigh heavily on him. Uh, and it sort of brings him back to where Daryl is. And he realizes he can't fit in with that community either. There's no role for him there. He's trying to... Uh, recapture that by saying, yeah, I'll go off and do your dirty deeds for you, Rick. But it's not really going to be the same for him. He can't really do that. So he's got this problem of there's nowhere for him to really go. How does he sort of cope with that? And I thought that was a very interesting di dilemma and done in a way where he's having a dialogue with other characters, but it's actually a dialogue with himself. When he speaks to Michonne, he's saying things he's actually saying to himself. When he speaks to Rick, he's saying something to himself. You know, he tells Rick, I don't think that you can do this. At the same time, he's telling himself, I don't think Rick can do this. Right, right. Um, well, the other thing about Michael Rooker, who I was like, that guy looks familiar to me. I, and I could never quite place him. Well, this is why. He was Henry, portrait of a serial killer. And, I mean, I haven't seen this movie for some time. But this was uh, when it was released. I think it was, it was shot uh, earlier and then sat around for a while because no one would release it straight away because it is so graphic and scary and everything else. But that's him. That did Michael Rooker was uh, Henry, portrait of a serial killer. And um, let me just look that up because I do feel that I mean it was so controversial. It was one of those movies that was that you heard about uh, rather than uh, actually saw for the longest time. Yeah, it was in release limbo and tape circulated around Hollywood, which won many roles for Michael Rooker, including the one in Eight Men Out. So um, it probably was the kind of thing where he made this. Uh, people saw it, people, you know, uh, you know, industry people saw it, and he got a lot of work from it before it was actually released. It well, it was, it was a landmark horror film because it was one of the first, if not the first, the first one to really depict the matter-of-fact nature of serial right. killers. Uh, up until that time, you had the, the, the mythology that serial killers were either very charming, you've got Tony right. Curtis playing the Boston Strangler. That's right. Or, you know, um, that there are cold and detached, which was sort of the Hitchcockian kind of way. But Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was the first one to really show these guys that they would treat what they were doing as being the same as going to the store and getting a, a, a you know, bread or a carton right. of milk. That it was very matter of fact for them and they didn't discern the difference between one task that's sort of mundane, mowing the lawn, and another one, which is, you know, taking somebody out and dumping their body somewhere. Right. It right. was very emotionally very chilling.
Yeah, yeah. And again, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I, was, I kept looking at Merrill going, I know that guy. And I, I you know, you, you look him up and stuff, but I didn't catch the Michael or the Henry portrait of a serial killer connection for some time. And I was like, oh, that's why he's extra creepy, this guy. It's somewhere bare. I buried that movie in my psyche somewhere. It's, I'm aware of it and I'm aware that I've seen it and stuff, but I don't like to think about it very much. No. <laughs> And, and what a, um, a difference between the two roles. I mean, it's it's not like he's been typecast as being the creepy guy because Henry, and he did play Henry, the title role yeah. there, uh, his character was emotionally detached. Yeah. And yet here you've got Merle, who is the opposite. He wears his pain like it's a suit, like it's, you know. I love that scene where they find him in the prison ripping open the mattresses. Right, yeah, yeah. Taking around looking for drugs because it's like you've come home and the dog has ripped the, the Kleenex box yeah, yeah, all yeah. over the place. Just the, the absolute manic uh, animal-like mess that is there, which is just perfect. Because in the script, they say, well, he's you know looking through the mattress trying to find drugs. It's different when you actually visualize it. You see right. the, the, the manic nature, his mind presented out there on this whole mess around the, the floor. You know, and they have that conversation just like you would with a dog. When you yeah. come home and you find that, you're like, why did you do this? Why would you do this? Look at all, you know, what drives you to do this? And that's what Rick says to Merle. And Merle stands there like a dog. I don't know why I do this. You know, I'm sorry, Rick. I shouldn't rip up the place. I thought that was brilliant. Well done, you know, just in terms of, of capturing that. Um, and But, you know, again, to that whole nature of the two different characters, there's this beautiful line that comes from Michonne when she's talking to him about how she says, you know, all these the 16 people that you've killed that you keep mentioning, you talk about how they hang on you like a weight. And she right. says, real guys, evil guys. And she doesn't say it, but she's talking right. about yeah. the governor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, light as a feather, right? Yeah. They, don't, they don't carry this stuff around with them. So I thought that was just a beautiful, poetic, Shakespearean moment, you know, yeah. just right there in terms of saying yeah. that. Now, what did you think of the, of the season finale? Because... I had high uh, expectations for it. I'll say it now, maybe too high uh, going in. And I thought it was good. Um, the hour went by. I mean, I just remember looking at the clock and going, there's only five minutes left. Like, this is crazy. And some very big things happened in this episode. And I thought some stuff was handled really, really well. But it wasn't, I, I guess my, my, my feeling of disappointment is that it wasn't the episode I thought it was going to be, which is, Great. It surprised me a little bit. But it wasn't quite what I what I was expecting. And that seemed to be, from what I can understand, or what I saw on Twitter anyway, that seemed to be kind of the general feeling. Yeah, I think there was a, um, I don't know how to put it. I felt that the, the episode was full of unspent energy. That over the course of this entire season, that they have been slowly building and building and building uh, thematically towards something. And then nothing happens. It's like building this huge pyre and then lighting a match and just instead of a, a big huge blaze uh, that's, so i that's kind of was disappointed well you know it, it it struck me that uh that the the governor is still alive still with us uh to continue his you know his bad man ways and he was as i wrote on twitter nuttier than an almond bar or an almond joy bar on that episode from the opening seconds. I mean, the show has this fantastic opening shot. That was yeah. fantastic. Because uh, you don't know who he's hitting. You just sort of like, you know, you see this kind of thing and it's, you know, you think, is he hitting Andrea? Who's he? And then it turns out it's poor old Milton. Um, but, you know, th there were great moments with him, but it, it feels like that character to me has crescendoed. Yeah. And, and, and it felt to me like, uh, as that character has become more popular, I, I, I would guess, and I don't know this, but I would guess that it was supposed to be a one arc, you know, a one season arc for him. But it's a pretty good character. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it, he's evil and you never know what he's going to do. He brings a real sense of unpredictability to the show as, you know, when he guns down uh, 15 or 20 of his own people. Uh, so, you know, he brings all that. But it felt to me like they like there was a change somewhere where they're like oh he's popular well we got we got to keep him around we're going to bring it back and that the story arc was changed to keep him around 
and to keep us interested in that gap because the show's not back on until October and to keep us sort of like that cliffhanger, you know, because the last time we see him, he just drives away. He's killed all these people. He's got his two or three guys with him and he drives away and never comes back. I mean, he'll be back, but that's the cliffhanger. And I hate, as I've said on this broadcast, I hate cliffhangers. I think that they are uh, a, a cheesy way of, of enticing the audience to come back in that sense. And, you know, a, a show like The Following has been using cliffhangers in kind of an annoying way. Uh, and The Walking Dead hasn't been, really. The Walking Dead has broken with convention that way, except on this episode. And I, I didn't like it. it. It felt a little shark jumpy to me. It's lazy. You know, um, I think that uh, they robbed everybody of kind of having a bit of an ending. You can introduce themes, you can introduce storylines, but you have to kind of get to a point where you kind of wrap it up. Uh, I was thinking about it afterwards that I love the way Doctor Who as a series handles this. They may throughout an entire season have a, a theme where every now and then somebody mentions the word bad wolf. Now, what's bad wolf about? Yeah. But there's always a, a, um, a huge, wonderful, climactic sort of resolution at the end with lots of winks and lots of cheers. And it's just, you end up feeling just so well taken care of at the end that it's painful to have to wait the next six or seven months for the next right. episode to come. You don't have to create um, a, a cliffhanger. If you make the show really good, people mm -hmm. are going to demand and want more. You don't have to say, well, maybe you got to wait till the fall to find out if the governor comes back. And see, and that's what I thought. And I thought, you know, in, in, in this moment, you know, because it's not, you know, cliffhanger traditionally happens at the very end of the show. You know, like the last thing you see someone raise a gun, but you don't know who they're shooting and, you know, whatever. And then it fades to black and you hear a gunshot. And you wonder what happened. Well, they don't do that on this. But they did provide, it, it is a cliffhanger. And I thought that it was much more conventional than the rest of this show has been. I didn't, uh, I didn't think that that was terribly appropriate. No. Well, I mean, between the two storylines that are in the finale, I thought the one with Andrea and Milton was kind of the better of the two. The whole yeah. war. I mean, you know, the mistake of hyping up a war is that you get to the point where you actually have to, to provide one. Yeah. And I know, I kind of get the feeling that some executive said, well, if we need a war, why not just blow up two towers and have somebody with a big gun going brrrr, and that's all that felt like. They spent a lot of money on just putting some iconography, and, you know, that was it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even all that exciting, that, that bit of it. I mean, I thought that the tension between uh, Andrea and Milton and whether he was going to die and turn into a zombie while she, you know, got out uh, was far more compelling than, than the other stuff that happened. Yeah, they're not really good uh, in terms of understanding how to do strategy or planning, oh. um, you know, in terms of, of a war. It kind of felt lazy. Uh, it's, it's funny, uh, my sisters watched the show. One of their complaints was that since this whole ominous dark cloud of, hey, the, the governor is going to come and, and, and attack us, there is no shots of anyone actually doing anything at the prison in terms of getting ready for it. There's, there's no fortification. Nobody's building traps or anything. They're just sitting around kind of singing songs and looking after the baby. Uh, yeah. you know, this doesn't seem to be a group that really kind of knows what they're doing. And their plan was really kind of uh, weak. You know, hey, we'll, we'll let them wander in and then sound the alarm and the zombies can take care of them. Right. It didn't seem, and I don't know why the governor's people actually ran into deep in the into the tombs, other than the script required them to do so. Right. Right. And the moment yeah. you show up and everybody's belongings are gone, you go. Well, maybe no one's here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you immediately back out and search the surrounding area around the prison, and then you come back to the prison after you've done that. So I don't know. I've, that kind of felt like it was poorly handled. Uh, didn't make too much sense, and I wasn't. I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the mo one of the most shocking parts of the governor is just him simply uh, that little conversation he had with Tyrese and his sister. Mm -hmm. oh, it was brilliant. Where he walks over and picks up the gun yeah. and hands it to him and just, thank you. You know? Yeah. Well, because, again, kind of unpredictable. You don't really know what that guy's going to do. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, he is a good character. It is a good character. But I kind of feel like it's over for him. Like I, you know, when you're that nutty, it just like it, what what you're essentially giving yourself permission to do 
as have an insane character in the middle of your story uh, to uh, for because when when you let go of logic in a story, when you let go of of uh, the idea that characters behave by a certain set of, of societal rules, then anything can happen. And so what you have here is a character that just gives the writers permission to go off on tangents and be loopy and have crazy stuff happen that doesn't necessarily fit, um, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily, uh, um, I don't know, it'll, for, I guess, forward the story, but it, it doesn't feel genuine to me. Yeah. So. Well, and I think uh, usually in one or two episodes. Actually, here's it. <clears throat> if they bring the governor, but if he's on for the next season, just doing nutty stuff every every show, I'll be like, you know what? How many more people can you kill? How many more times can we build tension and then have you go? Oh, that's cool, you know, yeah. and, and not behave badly, but blow up at the, the littlest thing. There's only so much of that that will accept, I think. Well, and, and you run the problem that as soon as he appears on screen again, people have expectations right. in terms of, of what's going to happen. And so it becomes less predictable unless you make him even more zany and over the top. Um, right. in the, it's better to do it, again, I hate saying this, as they've done in the comic book series where he was merely villain number one and right. the story has moved on to villain number two and villain number three where you have people of a very different nature and you can explore different approaches. Where you have someone who's trying to be the good guy leader of a community, and then you have someone who's a military survivalist, and then you have somebody else, um, you know, where you introduce aspects of religion or other things, that would be uh, fantastic. But if they're just going to keep bringing back the same villain, eh. and it's less compelling when our heroes have been pretty ineffective in terms of going after him. There, there's no, you know, it's not like... Errol Flynn returns to kind of, you know, deal with the sheriff of Nottingham again. It's, it's just, you know. Well, I, I, I you know, I, I, I think that they're trying to avoid that kind of Dexter approach where you have like one bad guy per season and then he okay. dies in the last show and then you, you know, or Dexter kills him, whatever. And then you start all over again in the next season. But there is something kind of satisfying about that. I mean, if you know that it's leading up to, it can, I guess, be anticlimactic a little bit. But if the bad guy is is effective enough uh, when he goes or gets driven away or whatever it is that happens to him, you know, that could be satisfying as well. So I don't know. I felt that it was a bit of a cheat to keep the, the governor around because as I say, it felt to me like it was dictated by the governor's overall popularity as a character versus what was best for the story. Yeah. I I think, you know, if I, if, if I had the choice, I would have um, ended the governor and allowed Merle to stick around and let Merle be the one that gets away. Uh, of course, you know, maybe losing a foot in the process so that over time he becomes a redneck cyborg, you know. Right, um, right. And be the character who is so self-consuming in terms of his, his own nature. They just won't die. That cockroach kind of character that you kind of need to have that Renfield that just, why does he keep coming back? He's always, you know, that kind of thing. That would have been fantastic. Uh, the governor, I'm, I'm not really interested in ever seeing him come back. And so I feel like I've been denied the, the, the Shakespearean moment right. when it all sort of comes down on him and should have been done in a beautiful kind of way. We, we don't have that. Well, I think in the, in the comic book, from what I understand, or in the book, um, he is killed by the woman who was left alive after he slaughtered all his followers. This is um, well, it's it's confusing because the actual guy named the governor uh, it is there's was the first villain, and he's just killed by Michonne uh, uh, by Penny. <laughs> Michonne had had freed Penny, and then when he came home and and you know wanted to, to embrace his daughter, she did. Um, yeah. But then there's a, a second um, villain who is in charge of the the Woodbury community, and you know, it's, it's, but they all have their their endings. They all have their dire circumstances, and it speaks to the theme of the world where the you know any character who adopts a kind of a, a fantasy about what life is like is going to end up having reality come crashing through. And so you want your your main characters, not just your heroes like Andrea, but also guys like the governor who have deluded themselves to suddenly have reality uh, smashed through. It would have been good because the governor has been behaving right from the very beginning as if he's untouchable. Right. 
there are those scenes where he stands there and the bullets just go all around him. Uh, anytime somebody pulls a gun on him, he just stands there and waits. And when you don't shoot, he shoots you. So it would have been, uh, I think, artistically quite nice to have set up a moment where he sort of stands there like I'm untouchable. <laughs> and no, you're not. You know, you just die a death like everybody else. That would have been kind of, you know, poetic. What, what did you think of uh, them killing off Andrea? It looked like for a moment that everything was okay. And then she reveals, you know, that she's yeah. been hit. And I thought that uh, not showing her get killed was a, was a great moment because yeah. you can imagine, you know, as they pull back in the horn, Rick and Daryl and everyone are sort of standing around outside waiting for the gunshot. And it lasted quite a while. Like it, in TV time, that there was quite a pause, a long pause. And then bang, you hear that. And uh, man, I mean, you know, as much as uh, that character of Andrea was not really loved by the fans of the show, um, if you're on Twitter, in that moment, or you know, shortly afterwards, you know, people were affected sort of emotionally by that because I thought that it was handled well. Yeah, I thought it was really well, uh, beautifully done. Um, I mean, uh, yes, we we this is the second time they've used this trick. Glenn had been duct taped to a chair with a zombie let loose and had to, to fight his way out of that scenario, but the way that they did it, in that the moment that she finishes undoing the handcuffs they cut to the other side of the door we can only listen to what's happening and there is you know in your mind you can tell that it's a struggle it's not a quick um, takedown or anything like that there's this uh and then her own voice of going ah you know i thought that was beautiful in terms of painting a picture and then when we return to the door with rick and the gang you can see the pool of blood yeah, under yeah. the doorway which suggests like things are not you yeah, know as, not as we well hope they are Oh, so I thought that was beautifully done. Um, I like, to me, it felt like a, a strong nod to Quentin Tarantino, just the, the being strapped to a chair the way that she was. The fact she's using her toes to, to, to get the pliers. Everybody always likes to think Quentin has a foot fetish. I yeah. thought that was all really well done. I guess my, my main criticism was, and I don't know if they were trying to get across, it felt like Andrea just dropped the ball. She seemed to have enough time, but she was more interested in having a conversation with Milton rather than get the pliers. It's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, this oh, is that the was driving time. me crazy. There are two things about the scene because I thought that most of the scene was handled so well. Yeah. She had a pedicure, for one thing. Where do you get a pedicure in uh, Zombie Land? She's been running, she's been tied to that damn chair for a while. Like, how did she have a pedicure? Uh, and uh, she talked to Milton too much. I mean, I get it. I get it. He helped her out. He put the pliers behind the chair. She was friendly with him. They were, you know, he didn't appear to be dead. But every millisecond in that situation mattered, you know. Yeah. And if I'd been Andrea, I would have been after those pliers, like, you know, like is get them up there as fast as I possibly could with her monkey feet, and you know, like get the, get out of there and kill Milton and put him out of his misery as quickly as possible. Yep. No, yeah. I, I, I don't understand why they did that, although it seemed to kind of speak to the theme that they were they were getting across, yeah. that this was a real moment of, uh, I don't want to say karma, comeuppance, uh, her suddenly realizing that she's she's kind of let herself down the entire yeah. time. She's She's yeah. been subscribing to a rosier picture of what uh, the reality that is there, and that's led her down astray. And she seems to be more interested in wanting to have that out with Milton than, than to save her own skin. And this is a, a character who in the past has been uh, suicidal. So maybe that's it. Maybe she's just like Merle, having a hard time understanding what her role is going to be. If she can't depend that things are going to turn out fine, that everyone is a good person and everyone's going to work to try to make this better, maybe she doesn't want to stick around. Maybe she's not interested in trying as hard as, as possible. They've crafted that scene. So if you were to replace it, you were to put Carl in that chair, you to put Michonne in that chair, you bet they would have had the pliers, they would have been free, and they would have taken care of Milton. But it's Andrea, and so she kind of, you know, begrudgingly allows herself to take too much time, and seems to, it's almost like she's she's setting, she's sabotaging herself. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so, I, I guess. Uh, another, the other big scene that people are talking about, what do you think a little badass Carl uh, shooting the boy in the head? Yeah. 
I, you know, it's it's an interesting um, situation that they've created for the characters to have that debate. To me, based on what I saw, was was pretty straightforward. Um, you, the, they had said repeatedly to the boy, "Drop your rifle," and and not just once, but twice. Drop your rifle. And the guy did that horrible thing that that people do when they're scamming, which is to kind of slyly look forward. You know, they're they're holding the gun forward, but it's off to the side so that you can grab the other person. I've, you know, in my heart of hearts, and, and I've watched the episode again, you can see that same kid is at the lead of the governor's army, so don't be fooled by his youthful appearance. I think that he was a real threat, a real danger. And what Carl did is what you should do. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny because it's it, it, just the idea of a, a child shooting someone in the head is upsetting, right? So you see that, but then later... He has that conversation with his dad and he said, I just did this so you know it didn't come back to haunt us. Whatever, you know, the, the long speech that he gives, which essentially is, you didn't do this, and then this happened, and then you didn't do this, and then this happened. You well, I wasn't gonna let that happen again. And then he takes off the the the, the sheriff's star and throws it on the ground. It's like it's like those people at rappers, like they're like, blah blah blah, I'm out, bang, throw the microphone down and walk off, you know? <laughs> it was so dramatic. And it was awesome. Like it was a, it was a, it was a, 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 a great kind of speech. I think Carl is going to end up in the next season being a great character uh, if they give him more to do like that. Yeah, I think you know it almost seems like uh, Robert Kirkman's decided Carl is the guy that's the most interesting one to kind of focus on. He, it's going to be his hero because um, big difference between writing a comic book, your kids grow up faster. You know, your child actors. So Carl can be always. Fourteen-year-old uh, boy in the comic book, but he's going to be a man very quickly within yeah. a couple of seasons, and yeah. so that that seems to be there's there's an interesting kind of forming here of of young Carl in terms of of being the next generation of the person who has to live and die and survive in this kind of world and the choices that he has to make. But there is a lot of this theme of, of disenchantment of people sort of slowly losing the illusions that they, they hold on to so dearly from Rick to Andrea to even Merle everyone's having to kind of have those illusions shattered and it's tough because it, you know for for guys like Carl who don't seem to have those 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 same weaknesses it's it's becoming a big conflict for them to try to you know step past all these people and just kind of do what, what comes naturally to you yeah, well, the, the idea of sort of hanging on to your humanity is is something that you know when you're surrounded by such such inhumanity, uh, you know, do you, do you really need to hang on to your humanity? Of course, Rick wants him to, because he looks at him and sees his son, you know, and Rick has sort of an epiphany. He doesn't see Lori everywhere now. Finally, I mean, he did see her, but then he looks back later on at that same you know area. And she's not there, so I'm hoping that means that there's no more flashbacks to Laurie. I I think he might be done with that, and I'm knocking wood because I hope so. Well, I love the joke that they made on Talking Dead to Michael Rooker. Uh, they were suggesting that moving forward, maybe Daryl will occasionally look off and see Michael in a flowing white dress. Yeah, yeah. I love that that idea. I think that's quite quite funny. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I hope there won't be any more ghost Lori. That didn't work. Uh, you know, I mean, it didn't work for me, but I, I find just, again, Tumblr, Twitter, nobody seems to have, to have taken to this idea of ghost Lori. Uh, well, but sad. people didn't like her, you know? I mean, I think also maybe if they had given her something to do other than standing there in a flowing white robe, and then later, I mean, it changed, you know, she was in more jeans and a flowing white shirt, I guess. And then, yeah. you know, but it was, it was different, you know? So, I mean, maybe that means that it was supposed to symbolically suggest that, you know, she was becoming uh, less a figure, an angelic figure for him, you know, I don't know, but something like that. And, uh, but if they'd given her something to do other than just, you know, standing off in the corner looking angelic, it didn't work. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the whole idea with Andrea getting kidnapped or getting taken by the governor, uh, like, you know, in the third to last episode, while Rick was on watch, honestly, who would put someone on watch who sees people everywhere they look? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, for the next season, they have to work on demonstrating a, um, a little bit more competency 
of, right. of their main characters in terms of, you know, it, it, who wants to follow people that are always going to be dropping the ball like that. Yeah. With with the whole Ghost Lori thing, there was a moment. Oh, they, they really caught me in the episode with Merle. Right. After Merle has, has knocked out Michonne, he's got her all bound up in a carpet and, and cable wires, and he's looking for stuff to kind of use. Uh, he's gathering up stuff in the, the, the prison. He reaches for the phone, and they put the phone right in the foreground of yeah. the camera and they even bothered to put all the sound effects so when he grabs it there's a slight ring as he picks yeah. up the phone and he stuffs it into his bag and it's sitting there right at the top of the pile on the bag and I thought how wonderful would it be if Rick and them all gather they're on their way to to deliver Michonne and Rick is starting to have doubts he's starting to wonder is this really a good idea what am I doing here and suddenly in the middle of the woods to hear a phone ring <laughs> would have been Fantastic. And to have him sit there confused, like, okay, where would this phone ring come from? There are no phones here. And then, like, fate to look over and, at Merle's bag and to see the phone sitting there. And even get a little bit of a vibration as if it's ringing. You don't have to have him pick it up or anything, but just enough of a, of a reminder to wake him up and then have him say, look, I can't do this. We, we have to stop. That would have been beautiful. I would have loved that. Rather than Ghost Lori sitting off to the side hair in a Pantene Pro-V, you know, yeah. commercial with the sun behind her, that kind of thing. No, eh, you know, no, but, oh well. well, I think we're done with her. I think we're done with her. I I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently, I mean, you know, Hollywood Reporter reported that David Morrissey has been signed for another season. So the governor doesn't appear to be going anywhere soon, although who knows? I mean, really, who knows? Maybe, you know, it just means he's coming back for a few episodes next year, or maybe he'll disappear for four or five episodes and then come back. Who knows? And try and attack the prison again or something. Who knows? I don't know. He has to build up another army or find some more weapons or something. I don't know. But I, I, I just felt a little let down by that. And, and you know, for all the stuff that was good, the scene with Carl, uh, both scenes with Carl, when he shoots the, the, the boy, and then later when he talks to his dad and throws a badge down. Although I have to say, having Rick pick up the badge and kind of like you know, let it glint in the sun and stare at it for a while before he put it in his pocket was that overkill moment that, that again, this show doesn't do that often. They don't, this show usually is a little better than that, but... Uh, but I guess, you know, they were trying to drive at that point home that, you know, there's a new sheriff in town and he's playing by his own rules, you know. That but, could be, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, interesting uh, interesting episode all around, although just not uh, – I, 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 I expected more from the shootout. I really did. I, I thought that um, that could have been uh, a much more exciting scene. And in terms of action scenes, it didn't – it didn't really work, I didn't think. No, well, and uh, I think the mistake that um, film directors, TV producers often make is that they think action is just showing different people going and then and then or, that, or the tower, you know, being blown away, you know, being blown up. Yeah, and well, I'm like, I, yeah, well, it's it's cool, I guess, you know, little bits of wood flew everywhere, but. No. It felt like an A-team an A team episode. You know, uh, you've got Maggie and Glenn in riot gear firing and not hitting anybody. Uh, you got these people that come, you know, the army that comes out the door, they're shooting and not hitting anybody. Uh, right. That cheesy moment where somebody gets behind the, 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 the 50 cal gun. Oh, it's jammed. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you have action, whether it's in a movie or in a television show, you have to be able to think about it spatially. You have to think about it like pieces moving on a chessboard. So that there's a back and forth in terms of, you know, it's, it's like dueling with swords or anything. There has to be a very specific action and then a response. And then all that has to be interesting, how people sort of maneuver around each other. We didn't really have that. We had sort of people rush in and then rush out. And it was like, you know. Get out of here. Let's get out of here. It's crazy here. It's like, you've got machine guns, big <laughs> ones. <laughs> yeah, I know that, that that whole thing as it was happening, I was kind of like because it it fell in the moment of the show, you know, in terms of the the timeline of the show. I thought, oh well, this is going to be the end of it. This is going to be a long battle, and then there'll be a scene at the end when they'll they'll wrap up Andrea's story at the end. They'll rescue her or not, or whatever happens to her. But I thought that was going to be the rest of the show, and it, and it wasn't. No, it was sort of a, I don't know, they were trying to be unpredictable with that. 
yeah. didn't quite work. Uh, so that was a bit. That was a bit. Now, what did you think about the wedding, <laughs> such as it was? The wedding. Yeah, <laughs> Glenn and Maggie. Oh yeah, well Glenn and Maggie, yeah, um, made virtually no impression on me whatsoever. No. You know, I, you know, and maybe that was when I, I stepped out to get a glass of water, and I don't know. I, it, it you know, I. I know that the reason we care about these characters is that they've made them human. They have humanized them, and that's why when Meryl gets killed or Andrea or Lori or whoever gets killed, uh, we, we care. We want to know uh, about it. Having them get married, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care well, them. I mean, um, that sequence, and I guess technically you could say that they're engaged. They haven't had a uh, – yeah, I don't had, think they're going to. Yeah. Right? But it felt weird because one of the, the observations I, I have about the show is that they tend to treat the peripheral characters far better than the, the main heroes. Anytime somebody has to step up and be a hero, they don't seem to really know how to do it. So you have an entire scene where Glenn sits down with Herschel and there was more ceremony. There was right. more poetry to Glenn sitting there pulling out that pocket watch and saying, you know, I didn't understand why you gave this to me. Now I understand. You know, he's asking for two weeks ago, right? Yeah. yeah. And this was during the, the Merle episode, that whole sequence. And then they cut to him just walking up to Maggie, throwing a ring in her hand and her well, like, yeah. Off a dead woman's finger. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, and it just, bothered me because I kind of felt I there are women who work on the show, Gail and her, the actresses. I don't know of any woman that would be sort of satisfied with just that. You know, <laughs> if it was important enough to do it, then it's important enough to kind of put a little bit more into it. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I know Greg Nicotero made a big deal about how visually he needed to shoot that right then and there. The actors weren't prepared. They were in their trailer. He pulled them up. So the the sun. Yeah, yeah. Which also bothered me. That entire episode was about how there was a meeting at noon. We're going to do the exchange with Michonne at noon. Um, maybe I'm watching too many astronomy shows. I now pay attention to where the sun is. And it was all over the damn place throughout the whole episode. We went from like 4 o'clock to 3, 11 a.m. It just it bothered me greatly. But I thought, you know, for trying to address the idea that this character, Maggie, had been kicking and, and screaming about being unhappy with what was going on with her and Glenn, and Glenn had to kind of respond and show some level of commitment in a crazy world, that that whole sequence of him just slapping a ring in her hand, even as beautiful as they, they tilted it so that the diamond caught the sun and all the right, things right, that right. they did, just <laughs> was pretty ineffective. Uh, and I, I feel like that often happens when a hero character character has to stand up and do something it seems to always be kind of weak or lame i don't know why hmm. yeah i don't know I I, I I i i guess so i guess so i mean you know glenn's character is someone who is just kind of skirting with being on the peripheral i mean he's got more to do than some of the others but not that much more and i thought he was going to be one of the ones that goes i thought you're they're, they're setting this up and i guess maybe a more conventional television show would have uh, said okay, well, you know what? They're 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 getting married. We gotta kill one of them. If we if we're gonna do that, we're gonna kill one of them. Uh, but they didn't happen. So, well, the moment that the battle happened and the the uh, governor's people had driven out, there was you know, yay, a celebration. And Glenn did the stupid thing. He pulled off his helmet. I know. I saw that. Yeah. 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 And I. <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for the gunshot that would uh, kind of, and I thought that was going to be it, that Glenn would be the major character to go, because you know somebody had to go. It's just, yeah. you know. Well, I wasn't it. sure how Andrea was going to get out of that situation that she was in. I kind of thought it was done for her. I, I did think that she was going to go. Uh, I wasn't, I mean, you know, in, in a zombie show, if you're going to go, I mean, that's maybe the, the way to do it, you know, make it tense, make Someone who you liked and respected before, you know, have them turn into a zombie and do the, you know, have a friend eat a friend. Hey, whatever. That's, I mean, that's, that's par for the course. That's good stuff. Right. But um, uh, I, I, I just thought Glenn might go as well. But uh, on Twitter beforehand, they, they said 27 people are going to go this episode. And, you know, what you didn't understand was that 20 of them were going to go in about 10 seconds when the governors just started shooting people <laughs> nonstop. So. 
Yeah, that was interesting to kind of reduce the the size. Uh, it's it's going to set up an odd situation. In the, well, who knows? Because what we've learned is that between seasons, they can pretend a year has gone by. Yeah, um, yeah. And that you know kind of is a, a bit of a cheat as well because they've now just inherited a lot of um, people who aren't terribly useful in a survival situation. Well, here's the thing. Someone mentioned this uh, to me. Uh, what about you know these old people who have a tendency to die in their sleep? You know, so everyone goes to sleep. One of the elderly people passes away, turns into a zombie, and goes all zombie crazy on everyone else while they're sleeping. Well, and I guess this is going to be, I mean, they don't, yeah, it's it's sort of a um, a reality of that world that, you know, people occasionally have heart attacks. They have strokes. Yeah. You're going to have to always be on your guard. You're always having to kind of look over your shoulder. But, it, it I mean, it also just sets up a situation where, uh, how do you then move this story forward in an interesting way? You've got a baby. You've got a bunch of people who have been isolated in this little Woodbury sub, uh, subdivision. Maybe they're not terribly necessary. All the ones who could operate generators and do all the cool stuff have probably been shot. So I don't know what that, that – it sets up an, a, a situation that to me is not terribly interesting. I don't yeah. know if I really want to tune in and see how they're going to handle that. You know, I'd rather it be a, a more tight-knit group, but – well, yeah, I mean, I have a feeling something's going to happen there. Something, yeah. something terrible is going to happen there. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe, like, who knows? Maybe we're in for another, you know, pacer kind of, you know, season like the, the farm. Like when they're on a farm for a year and really nothing happened, you know? Now it's the weight of trying to be a leader in charge of a bunch of, you know, yeah. um, oddballs and sort of maybe, gee, I don't know. The governor was a psychopath, but he seemed to be able to handle this well. What's going on with us? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's been and we now until October. Yeah. Wait, I mean, and I guess you know, uh, you know, the idea is to to keep it keep it exciting until then. But you know, I, I you know, as I said earlier, that the the cliffhanger thing kind of bugged me. But I'll tell you, the ratings are in. Over twelve million people watched it, which is you know three times as many people that watched uh, Game of Thrones, for instance, on the same night. The season, uh, the season premiere, and on season two, at the end of season two, there were uh, was it three point two? I think three point two million uh, impressions on Facebook and Twitter, whatever, uh, during the during uh, the the Walking Dead. So people twittering, "Oh my God, I'm watching The Walking Dead! Awesome, bang." 3.2 million of those, or 3.5. This time, 13.5 million. That's a lot. For an hour, in an hour, that's a whole lot of mentions online. That is incredible. Uh, no, good for them. And and hopefully it will lead to, uh, we always say this, don't we? Hopefully it will lead to, to better story writing on television in terms of trying to create more dramatic series. Because uh, Game of Thrones is, is equally a very good series in terms of, of has has a lot that it kind of shares in the sense that it creates a world that's very uh, dire, right. and you never know when a character is going to die. They often die. It's it's not there's no loyalty in terms of saying, well, this is a hero character. Right. Characters that you become attached to, and they they create them in a way that you really do become attached to, are, are eliminated on a regular basis. But well, you know, it's interesting though. But the, the, you know, the the series arcs, the season arcs for these shows are fairly condensed. There's 15, you know, uh, episodes of The Walking Dead. I'm not even sure there were that many. There were maybe 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. uh, the Game of Thrones, I don't think there's that many. Nine, ten, something like that. Um, and there may be more or just a few. That's whatever. It's a, in a, but, you know, a, a, a television series, a, a network series, is typically longer than that. And so what I'm following, or what I'm finding with a show like The Following, which I saw the ads on Kevin Bacon, you know, hey, I like Kevin Bacon. I'll watch this serial killer thing. Sort of piqued my interest. And I've been watching it, but I've been only watching it with one eye. I've been watching it like this lately. You know, kind of like, because it seems that they're telling a story that could easily have been told in 10 episodes, and it's going to be stretched out into however many, you know, however many a network show needs to, to survive, you know. 
and probably a relatively expensive network show. You've got, you know, stars on it. You've got lots of locations. Then, you know, things are happening on this show that, that cost money. There's action sequences. So, you know, it's probably a fairly expensive show to do. And to do that, you got to stretch it out a little bit and, and you know, amortize your, your costs. And so I just feel like this, this thing, if it doesn't pick up soon, I'm going to find something else to do on Monday nights for the following. Yeah, it's 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 rough. Uh, Game of Thrones is interesting in that uh, they're a little handicapped in that they're following the story that it's in the books that it's based off. They got the same problem The Walking Dead does, and that there are lots of people who have read the books who are going, "Well, you should read the books," you know, um, <laughs> which you know it's it's true, but it gets to be kind of annoying after a while. Um, but I will say, I watched the the season premiere of Game of Thrones, and an observation I'm going to share is that there was one scene where the actor Charles Dance, uh, you right. may know from Alien 3, he often, in, great actor, often in scenes he plays authoritarian figures who are just yeah. sort of cold and brittle. He did a scene in the new Game of Thrones that was just extraordinary and, and really kind of says a lot in terms of the importance of craft over just spending money on exploding um, towers and stuff like that and in this scene it's it's basically a dressing down between a father and a son uh in this case you've got uh charles dance playing tywin lannister and speaking to peter dinklage the, right. the little person playing um you know his son yep there's charles there, dance right there it's mm. cold cole's eyes yeah <laughs> uh and i mean it's just a speech that he's delivering it's just two people talking it's the kind of thing we normally hate but, oh, man, I have to tell you, he took that speech and he made it cringeworthy. Right. So bad, I backed up the backside of my couch. It was just painful to watch. These were just two masterful actors taking a moment that was on the page. And I have to say it was better than what I had read in the book. Wow. Um, just incredible because Charles Dance, it, it wasn't just that he was being a, a mean, mean bastard to to his son who he feels nothing but complete disdain to because of his his disability because of, of the way that he was born so as he goes through this whole speech of dressing him down he's emotionally flaying him and surgically just uh trying to reduce any kind of humility or, or dignity this poor fellow has suggesting that the only reason he has to tolerate them is because somebody can't prove that he's not his son right. uh, he blames the death of his mother on him because it's your disfigurement that it caused her to die on child. And it just, it's like, whoa. And, and I, you know, all these things are truly horrible, but Charles dance delivers it with a very soft voice. So many characters are like gesticulating and, and trying to do emotions and stuff like that. And Peter Dinklage to his merit just stands there and barely does anything, but you can just see the, the quibbling that, you know, he's just, dying inside as he stands there defiantly to his father i thought it was an incredible scene and and just one of those rare moments in in game of thrones or even in walking dead when actors can really take the, the material and elevate it right i i have not yet seen game of thrones i will i have them i have the dvds uh but i will and i will get to it well it's a hard series to recommend because well, the book's well, for me now, what it just feels like so much, it feels like there's, there's so much now that, you know, it, it, there's a bit of a, you know, such a, a time, uh, I mean, there's probably 24 or 25 episodes, which just seems kind of daunting to me. It's like, oh, I've got uh, to spend one entire day, if I do nothing else, I can catch up. You know? Well, I don't know. I mean, we have friends that are huge fans of it. Lindsay Van Stone, Seamus O'Regan, who, who went nuts on Twitter about it. I don't understand how, say, somebody like Lindsay, who hasn't read the books, can follow it. Because they're taking uh, you know, something that might take uh, 200 pages to get through, and they're condensing it to like 20 minutes. Right, right, right. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting because they're going to reach the point where the books stop. Yeah. Uh, you know, the books have been highly criticized and that we've been, you know, if you're a fan, you're waiting years for the next book to come. And the author, maybe, I, you know, it, it sort of feels like he doesn't know how to end the series. And so it may never end. And so I don't know what the producers are going to do because they're going to run out of material very soon. But, right. hmm. And then the series will just end. I don't know. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then it just, it gets canceled and never comes back. Yeah. Um, 
So a couple other things I, I, I wanted to, to sort of touch upon with uh, The Walking Dead. One was that I thought, uh, I love, there's a joke now that uh, the last thing you want as a character in The Walking Dead is to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Carol. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Because every time somebody does, uh, they end up dying rather quickly. But there, there was a great moment with her and Carol, again, you know, that very Shakespearean idea where he, he comes down and starts to kind of pick on Carol. And Carol's had men like Merle in her life before. And he mentions how she now looks different to him than when he first saw her the first time. And this has been a big theme for her character. You know, she has changed. She's become stronger. And so it's a great opportunity for her to show that. And she turns to him because he says, I guess you're a bit of a late bloomer. And she says, wonderfully, you know, maybe you could be a late bloomer too. And it's just, oh, perfect writing. Okay. Whoever wrote that, get them on writing Rick's speeches because his speeches suck. That was beautifully done. Fantastic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and the, the, the governor, I think in the finale, was great in that finally he stopped saying things that were lies. Right. That speech that he gives to Milton was perfect, where he talks, I mean, for the first time, he reveals who he really is. That whole idea that, unlike Merle, who every time Merle kills somebody, it weighs heavily on him. Yeah. The governor, as he says, I feel alive. Right. And right. he says, you know, you, you, this is a, the whole idea of, of just sort of being part of his team or, or why he's right and everybody else is wrong is that you can dominate somebody. You feel like you're better than they are. And I love the line he says, where you take their head so you can remember. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> it, 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 you know, the, 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 it, it's interesting because the writing, uh, it was Greg Mazzara that wrote this last episode. Uh, who's now gone from the show uh, over a disagreement with the producers on the on the the, the future of it and the future of some of the characters? Um, you know, the, the, some of the writing is so good, and then you know, but I just felt like the, a little bit of it was a little bit too conventional um, uh, for me. But but I did uh, you know I don't know I, I did think that uh, um, the, the that speech particularly from the uh, governor was worth the price of admission. Yeah. That opening nuttiness where he's, you know, not just he's speaking to the camera, but he's also speaking to Milton. And he, he's sort of, I don't know, he's trying to assert himself. He feels right. like he's losing, but he's, he's still trying to, ah, you know. Right. right. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. He, he's obviously quite the bad, the sore loser. So I don't know what, uh, what will happen with that. Well, it, it, it better be more action-filled than the attack was. Yeah. Well, my the the thing that I was hoping was going to happen with Andrea, um, is there was mention in an interview at some point the creator Robert Kirkman had said people have been critical of Andrea, as, as we all know. It's not just that people hated her, but that there were people who were really disappointed with her portrayal because she's not the person that she is in the in the comic series. Yeah. And, yeah. and Robert Kirkman had said, "Hold on." We're working towards that. You will soon see her emerge as the fearless sharpshooter that you all know her to be. And that was about the time that Rick went up to Morgan's place and almost on purpose, he, he found his old sniper rifle yeah, and yeah, held it yeah. up. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, this is what they're setting up. There's going to be this moment because Milton says to Andrea at one point, you'll never get close enough to get the governor. That he'll always have people around him and you're not going to get close enough. And I thought, well... If you read the comic books, you know Andrea is actually a very good sniper. Uh, and there's a sniper rifle on the scene. And so I really thought that there was going to be a moment where everybody had tried their best, where Rick and Daryl and all of them had gone to, dialed it up to 11 and all been defeated in the very last minute. There's the governor. Triumphant is all. And then you hear a, <laughs> and right through the, the one remaining eye. And then pull off. And up on the horizon, you see that silhouette of Andrea, just like in the comic books, holding the sniper rifle. And the world would go crazy at that yeah. point. And, you know. Well, that'll have to be in the, the alternate universe. Yes. <laughs> that would have been great. It would have been great. You know, I can picture it in my head. It's just, you know, a black screen. And as the camera pulls back, you realize that you're looking at an eye socket right. and it pulls back even farther and you can see the patch on the other eye and then he's just standing there with blood trickling down yeah. perfect would have been beautiful but hey oh well 
Oh, well, you know, and this is going to be the fun until fall. People can kind of, you know, debate and look at all these yeah. other things. Uh, and then, of course, there's still the comic book series where there's very interesting things happening there. Well, we will discuss something else next week. Hopefully. I don't know what. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I've got a couple of things. Sad. Yeah, I know, with no, with no Walking Dead. <laughs> uh, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, what's going to happen? Is there anything else happening in the world of zombies? We'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll, we'll find something. All right, well, check out the website, heyallyouzombies.com. And um, join us next week because we don't know what we're going to talk about. No, not at all. But I, I want to quickly say thank you. Uh, I noticed a bunch of people gave us positive reviews on iTunes. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I noticed it by accident, and it, and it made me feel really good because I spent a lot of hours converting everything over to get it up on iTunes. So that right. was great. And, you know, uh, we're still getting lots of people subscribing to the channel, and that's wonderful. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yay, people. All right. Next week. <laughs>